Hello and welcome to the Maluli Asset Management Podcast. Today is December 10th, 2014. This is Brendan and today Tom and I are going to talk about uh, load mutual funds and why we don't believe that they make very much sense. So uh, we talk about no load and load funds all the time and I thought it would be a good idea to just start the conversation by uh, explaining what is a load fund. Yeah, we don't just want to take for granted that everybody knows what we're talking about here. Right. So there are, you know, a couple of basic ways that mutual funds are, are bought and sold uh, with sales charges and without sales charges. And when you're buying a fund with a sales charge, it's called a load. So mutual funds uh, that come with some kind of sales charge or load, there, there's a few different variations. You can buy them with a front end load or a back-end load, or an annual uh, charge that's assessed uh, within. So these funds are with loads are typically bought through a broker or you know through a brokerage firm. Uh, Front-end load, like we had mentioned, charges you on the way in, meaning if you put $10,000 into a fund and there's a 5% sales charge, if nothing happened with the change in price, you get your first statement, it's $9,500. Yeah. Where'd that $500 go? It's a guaranteed way to lose money. Pretty much, <laughs> yeah, in your first month. So, And you know what? From the 1940s until the early 1980s, that's the way mutual fund investments were sold. Right. That was the only way. What's the, uh, what's the typical front-end load charge? What was the range really? Yeah, when I got started in the business, this is back in the mid '80s. The typical front end sales charge was anywhere from five to seven percent. Uh -huh. So today you're going to see a front end sales charge in the three to six percent range. Yeah, I think they set a limit on how, how yeah how much, much it can be right. Yeah. So uh, the the opposite of that is a back end sales charge where you would not pay anything up front. So if you put ten thousand dollars into a mutual fund, ten thousand starts to work for you right away first day. But if you bail out of the fund and want your money back, meaning I'm not going to exchange to another fund in the family, I'm going to take my money out. If you bail out in the first twelve months, you're typically going to get charged somewhere between five, six, and seven percent on the way out. Mm -hmm. In the second year that charge is going to be a little less. If it was 6%, now in the second year it's 5. Then right. in the third year it's 4, then 3, then 2, then 1. So Eventually kinda, it disappears. It does disappear, yeah. but you're locked in for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. uh, the other way is what they call a low-level load, and we've done podcasts about these things. Sometimes they're called C shares for Class C, and so you don't pay anything on the way in, Sometimes you're assessed a 1% fee if you bail out in the first 12 months, but you are internally being billed 1%, sometimes even more, uh, as a 12B1 fee each year that you're in the fund. So imagine you're in a mutual fund that you really like and you're happy with it, but it's a C share. You're in it for 10 years. You've paid 10%. Right, and that's in kickbacks that go to the brokerage firm and the broker who sold you the fund. Right. So, Brendan, what do we mean, though, when we're talking about a no-load fund by, by comparison? Well, uh, it just means that they are sold without a commission or a sales charge. Um, the only thing that they do have is a 12B1 fee, uh, but the maximum that it can be is a quarter of a percent, so 25 basis points. 
is is the maximum for it to be considered a no-load fund. So understand that all mutual funds or most mutual funds are going to have some kind of 12B1 fee. A fund can't qualify as a no-load fund if their 12B1 charge is more than a quarter point per year. Mm -hmm. So the other thing that all mutual funds carry, whether it's a load fund or a no-load fund, is a an expense ratio. And you want to just talk a little bit about what an expense ratio is so, so yeah. our listeners can understand? Yeah, the uh, expense ratio of a fund goes towards paying the managers that decide what investments are going to go into the fund, which ones are going to come out of it. So that, that goes towards them. And you're going to see uh, expense ratios on both types of mutual funds that we just discussed and ETFs also are going to have them, just in varying in varying levels. If you're buying an ETF index fund, it's going to be a lot lower than an actively managed uh, ETF or yeah. um, there's no, mutual fund. There's no free lunch when it comes to mutual funds or ETFs. There's always going to be some kind of expense ratio. Just know that some are way more than others. Now, there's a pretty famous book that was written a long time ago, and it's now in its like 12th or 13th edition called A Random Walk Down Wall Street. It was written by Burton Malkiel. Uh, he's quoted as saying, in no event should you ever buy a load fund. And this guy's got a pretty strong opinion. Yeah. Uh, he says, there's no point in paying for something if you can get it for free. And we do subscribe to that theory because we've, in our own experience, have found that the no-load funds, uh, they don't have that drag that comes with them. Yeah. Uh, another analogy that we've heard about load funds is that buying a load fund is the equivalent of signing up for extra taxes, meaning that you're paying more than you need to, and that money that you're paying, uh, like we mentioned before, is not going to work for you uh, if it's a front-end sales charge. You're, I mean, that's just money that's lost for you as far as you're concerned. Right. Now, Brendan, in preparation for our podcast today, you read through a, a research article by some Harvard Business School folks. Do you want to talk about that? Because I thought the work was terrific, what you came up with. Yeah, it was a really, really well done uh, research article. It was called Assessing the Cost and Benefits of Brokers in the Mutual Fund Industry. And amongst many things, their their findings showed that the brokerage channel, meaning guys who work at brokerage firms and the firms in general, are selling funds with inferior pre-distribution fee returns. And when we talk about pre-distribution fees, we're, we're talking about the front-end load, the back-end load, the 12B1 fees uh, that we mentioned earlier. So for the study, they didn't take into account the front-end or back-end sales, sales load. And they added back in any 12B1 fees from the no-load funds and the load funds alike, and they compared their performance. So let me see if I understand this right. They took load funds and measured them against no-load funds, but right. they stripped out all of the costs that are associated with all the funds yeah, across they, the board. Yeah, they just wanted to see on a fair level, uh, without any costs involved, like was there any outperformance generated by these load funds are, are like in a sense like is what you're paying worth anything are you paying for better stuff like do you sure. get what you pay for here and they're found they, they found no that you don't okay you don't get anything extra for paying these sales loads and so unfortunately you're in something that's giving you subpar returns and you're paying for it yes 
Oh, well, that's depressing. Yeah, they, they also found that more sales are directed to funds whose uh, distribution fees are higher. So, so a conflict of interest there with brokers putting people into funds that give them a bigger kickback. Yeah. Now, see, this this is an, an awkward and uncomfortable kind of conversation that I think clients need to have sometimes with a broker that they're dealing with. And, you know, we're not making this stuff up. I worked on the brokerage side of business for 13 years. I've been there and done that. And I, I think it really is a frank conversation that you need to have if you're working with a broker at a brokerage firm and talk about, hey, why are we in these funds that may not offer a clear benefit to what we're trying to accomplish here with this money? And it comes right down to a, a, a term that no one really wants to talk about. It's the abuse of trust. Yeah. You know, a typical conversation with a client will go something like, Hey, we found, you know, we really need to have some exposure to emerging market bonds. We don't have anything or we don't have any money in emerging markets or we have no money in the European markets and we've got this great mutual fund. I think it's going to be a perfect fit for your portfolio. I think we ought to put $25,000 into it or 50,000 whatever. And you say, "Okay, Tom, sounds great. Let's go ahead and do this." Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, they're not asking about the cost. They're not asking about the structure. They're not asking all of the details. They're just going on trust because yeah. they trust you as the advisor. And this trust is kind of fostered by brokers calling themselves financial advisors. Yeah. And, uh, different terms like that. Yeah. Well, it really comes down to are they a broker or are they an investment advisor? And this is a, a point that we've discussed on, on several podcasts and posts on our website. The difference between brokers and advisors is something that very few people understand. When you are a broker, you are part of the sales force for the brokerage firm. Your legal limit or your threshold is I've got to recommend something to the client that is suitable. So it's got to be something. If you're interested in growth, I'm going to give you growth. Okay. But if you're an advisor, I have to recommend something that's prudent. It's not only has to be suitable, but it has to be something that makes sense. Something that doesn't have a bloated cost structure. Something that gives us an easy exit. We're not locked in for a long period of time. Something that really on a, you know, just makes total sense for what we're trying to do. That fiduciary obligation that your investment advisor has is so important when it comes to you know, breaking it down to who you're going to work with. So unfortunately, we see this all the time where a broker, financial consultant, whatever you want to call them, are putting their own interests ahead of their clients, or at least not putting their clients in front of their own. So again, awkward conversation. It's something that's really uncomfortable, but you need to really know what's going on when you're putting money to work in some of these funds. Yeah, I mean, just to summarize everything, we we just don't really think that load funds make any sense for investors because they're not offering any kind of additional performance uh, or any other kind of a benefit, and it's coming at a greater cost to the investor. So, you know, 
in our opinion, there are plenty of no-load funds and ETFs that can accomplish all the goals that any investor would have, and there's no need to be in these, these load funds. Yeah, if it doesn't make sense, and you really need to ask questions and, and, and do your homework when it comes to these things. If it doesn't make sense, it may not be right for you. There was one other tidbit that I just wanted to bring up. Uh, one of the things that Brendan uncovered uh, in preparing for this podcast is, you know, with these back-end sales charge uh, funds, and none of them are, are they're not sold as off as frequently as they were uh, back in the 80s and 90s. But, you know, typically when you got involved in these back-end sales charges, you would have a five, six, seven, sometimes eight-year holding period for these funds uh, before you got out without any kind of sales charge. And incidentally, that's the same kind of schedule you'll see on an annuity as well. What's the average holding period for a mutual fund? Uh, I mean, for better or for worse, the statistics show that 3.3 years is the average uh, amount of time that people are holding mutual funds. So about a little over three years is the average holding period. Uh, so you've, if you're in a front-end load, you've got a... You've, You've got a limited amount of time to make up the sales charge. Right. You probably haven't. You probably haven't made up the gains yet. You're you're sure. underperforming for sure at three years. And with a back end sales charge, you're paying yes. on the way out. Yep. And if you are in a low level load for three plus years, you're probably playing paying three or four percent uh, to the fund. So you really need to understand the cost structure of, of these types of investments. And that's one of the reasons why we talk a lot about exchange traded funds because they do give individual investors a viable option they do have more benefits than just the cost structure and so we do talk about these types of investments often in our podcasts and with our clients and when we do talk about different investments you need to know that none of the securities that we mention in in our podcasts represent a past specific recommendation of maluli asset management and this podcast is not a recommendation to buy or sell any of the securities that we happen to mention here more importantly, if you're relying on a podcast for investment advice, we think you might be making a mistake. And so we strongly urge our listeners to consult with their own investment advisor before making a decision to buy or sell any kind of investment. Now, if you don't have an investment advisor to consult with, we'd be happy to answer whatever questions you have. There's no cost. There's no obligation. Just pick up the phone. You can find us. We're in New Jersey. Our telephone number is 732 223-9000, or you can find us on the web at maluli.net. Okay, that's all we have for now. We'll be back next week with a new topic. Thanks for listening.